0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome back to the second hour of Box. Your headlines, markets are focusing on the European Central Bank today as Christine Lagarde, the president is expected to commit to a July rate hike, despite downgrading growth forecasts, as inflation hits a record high. Well, futures in Europe and the US flatlining ahead of that decision, bond yields push higher, crude prices rallying rallying to a 13-week high.
1: China shows more signs of recovery as COVID lockdowns ease, with May exports for the world's second largest economy coming in more than double expectations. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky calling on American corporate leaders to fully exit Russia, warning their taxes continue to help fund the Kremlin's war.
2: But the most important thing is that they, they, not, they do not only leave Russia, but do not pay taxes to the Russian financial system, uh, that, um, then, because this money are uh, used to finance Russian war machine that is killing Ukrainians.
3: Shares in Credit Suisse surge into the green and late trade as a report suggests that State Street could be considering the Swiss lender as a takeover target.
0: So the ECB is set to draw a line under years of stimulus at its meeting later today. Investors are eyeing an end to the asset purchase program as well as a roadmap for lifting interest rates from their record lows. Uh, this as inflation in the eurozone hits all-time highs and new data from the OECD indicates that even the bank's worst case scenario for next year may be too optimistic as far as the OECD's own forecast is concerned they see inflation in 2023 at 4.6 percent and growth at 1.6 percent and as you can see that looks a lot more uncomfortable for the ECB than its own projections well we've spoken to key members of the ECB's Governing Council in recent weeks in the run-up to today's meeting. One issue, of course, stood out head and shoulders above all others, the need to get inflation under control. Our mandate is price stability. This is what we have to look at, uh, you
4: know, and be totally sure that we will try to do our best to, to, to reduce inflation
2: to our definition of price stability. 2% symmetric in the medium term. That's uh, you know, our mandate, and this uh, uh, you know, the, the, the target that we have to try to to accomplish. Because uh, with respect to the evolution of inflation, we have to be focused on the medium-term inflation outlook that for us is key.
4: This is why we have to normalize monetary policy. Without any doubt, it's what President Christine Lagarde said very clearly this morning. Uh, There is an increasing consensus in our governing council about the start of the journey. Let, Let me say one word about our aim. At the end of the journey, at least in two years, 24, we will bring inflation back towards 2%. A lot of this is energy, a lot of this is due to negative supply shocks. We, are for the difficult, we stand for the difficult task to disentangle the couple of negative supply shocks we've had from also very strong demand. And we have to respond to the demand side. The 33% you are mentioning is, ve- to a very large extent, also a uh, result of the negative supply shock. We know that that will be a temporary shock. There is not much we central bankers can do about energy price inflation, but you can and must hold us accountable for avoiding that that temporary bout of high inflation becomes entrenched. And that is why I am more focused on indicators of underlying inflation. And that is the one to follow, and that will also affect inflation
0: expectations going forward. But you know the market is very fixated on a number, 25 or 50. Just to be very clear, 50 is not off the table at the July or September meeting.
4: No, as far as I'm concerned, not. And uh, the way I read the blog of our president, it's clearly not off the table.
0: Oh, class not there, in the market seems to be increasingly pricing in the idea of 75 basis points by the time we've had the September meeting. Now, lifting interest rates is one way to tackle inflation, but if the ECB wants to comply with its forward guidance, it can only do that once it puts a stop to its asset purchase programme. Over the course of this week, we've asked market analysts what this next step could look like. What I
4: believe they will be doing is they will announce to end net asset purchases this month, which is a little bit earlier than uh, the current plan. And then uh, basically pre-announce uh, rate hikes uh, for the following meeting. So I think there is a credibility element there. There is a sequencing issue they promised to stick to. And I think uh, that's, that's understood. The question is more about the pace from July onwards and then the scope, uh, the destination of the overall normalization journey that will be more interesting to, to see whether they will stick to a gradual approach or whether they will be more aggressive at some point in time.
5: Indeed, this is the the tightrope that ECB is walking. They want to um, be seen as not being part of the inflation problem, uh, by which I mean that at least they need to move from a uh, accommodative setting to a neutral one. On the other hand, uh, there is some pretty, I'd say, daunting uh, growth prospects uh, for for the eurozone and we don't really know uh, how long the ECB will be able to hike so I think it, there is value in being prudent. Ideally they would have hiked earlier.
0: I think what we're seeing is, is a healthy adjustment. I, I think it's better that we're getting real rates and nominal rates out of these extraordinarily low uh, uh, levels and especially here in Europe where you know I think the ECB is trying to exit zero rate policy because it's not clear it was terribly effective. I think in the long term, that's a, that's a positive step that will create a healthier, more stable system. Well, there you go. There's a, a roundup of various comments on what is anticipated. Let's get to Anetta who follows the ECB for us. And of course, this meeting is in Amsterdam today. Um, Anetta just uh, help us understand how Christine Lagarde negotiates some of the challenges in the messaging today.
5: Well, it's, an, it's actually probably not so easy today because clearly the the camp of the hawks keeps on growing. So those who want to have tighter monetary policy as soon as possible, possible, and most likely also a fifty percent, a fifty basis point uh, rate hike um, in July, and the others who want to have something for it, the doves. And essentially, what is in the making, according to what I'm hearing, is some sort of program which could avoid fragmentation of the. Euro area, meaning uh, higher yields in the periphery, especially in Italy, but also in Spain and Portugal. So that is most likely the compromise for the doves. So we might get a faster tightening cycle with perhaps 75 uh, basis points priced in the markets being about right by September. But at the same time, there will be this new facility which could be deployed to actually do yield targeting in uh, the periphery, which they offer course, would not call like that. So, I guess any word on uh, more concern about the inflation trajectory will probably give more yeah, uh, uh, sort of vindication for the um, assumption that there will be a 50, percent, 50 basis point rate hike as soon as July, whereas the majority of analysts do still, still think that July will see 25 basis point, and then we have the September 50 basis point hike possibility. So, Um, What speaks against it is the deterioration of the economic outlook. We have seen the OECD coming out yesterday with a sharp downward revision for economic growth for the euro area as well. And uh, today we are getting the new staff projections, as they call it, that's their forecast from the ECB for inflation and uh, GDP growth for the next three years, for this year, the next year and 2024. And, of course, the market will focus on the inflation Uh, for 2024, because that's the medium-term outlook the ECB is targeting. And if that number should come in at 2%, which it never came before, then there should be uh, um, ample room for the ECB to tighten their monetary policy faster than expected. Some analysts like Mark Wolf from Deutsche Bank is even believing that the um, ECB will, will embark on a harsh tightening cycle because inflation is not under control and there's a serious risk of de-anchoring of inflation expectations if you look at the market based inflation expectation and that in the interest rate here in the euro area could actually rise to 1.5 to 2% by next year which is about the neutral rate they are targeting and if they want to get ahead of the curve they need to raise their rates higher than this neutral rate which is estimated at being around 1.5 to 2%. So, you know, loads of topics and probably quite a lot of disagreement in the Governing Council about the trajectory of monetary policy, but I think they are quite uh, on one page when it comes to the assessment that inflation is at risk of being entrenched in the system and there is a potential risk of actually de-anchoring of inflation expectations.
0: Terrific. Anetta, thank you so much for that. Uh, and just to point out on a programming note, Juliana is uh, hosting Decision Time. That coverage starts at 13.30 Central European Time with the decision at 13.45 CET, Steve.
1: Right. Um, you mentioned lumber and the precipitous decline we've seen thereof, and that is because of concerns about the US housing market where 30-year mortgage rates are significantly above 5% now as well and on an average rate as well. So that's gone up. Housing permits have gone down. Housing starts have gone down. Existing home sales have gone down as well. So there are a lot of concerns there as well. And about mortgage applications coming off. That was the latest bit of data we had yesterday. That meant the real estate sector has declined in the uh, session yesterday. Biggest declining sector for the week in all these subsectors. And that dragged down the Dow and the S&P. And even the NASDAQ was down 7 tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ's still up to this moment. 0.6 of 1% for the week. We've got the daddy of data, the mummy of data, uh, coming out in the next uh, 24 hours. No, it's a little bit longer than actually. But anyway, coming out tomorrow. <laughs> and that is the US CPI core figure. Oh, there'll be whoops with joy if it loses its six-handle and it just goes down to a mere 5.9. And there'll be whoops with joy about the uh, uh, the coming off the top for the 8.3% down to 8.1%. The fact of the matter is it's still going to be very heady and still going to create a headache for the Federal Reserve and the Treasuries as well. And there's a lot of comments coming out now, and we'll move on to the Treasuries, uh, about um, what happens next for the corporate bond market. There was a nice piece in uh, uh, in the, the pink sheet today talking about the corporate bond market bets some hedge funds have made against corporate debt. Uh, the 10-year paper trading 302.89, but as you can see from the five-year all the way out to the 30-year as well, pretty flattish, 3.18 now is where we are seeing the 30-year paper. Uh, oil markets, interesting looking at the EIA data in terms of the drawdown uh, of gasoline, but the build-up of uh, oil inventories. There was a little bit of rumble yesterday about what were the ramifications of a fire at an LNG terminal as well, whether that meant they couldn't get enough natural gas in there as well. Natural gas uh, futures fell a little bit in session, but look at this, 123.61 for Brent crude. And the news for the British consumer, if you're watching today, Um, You are now paying, apparently, according to the Telegraph I just looked at, £100 to fill up your tank. Just digest that, £100 to fill up your tank, that you were spending £50, £60 to fill up uh, not so long ago as well. And actually, as I was coming out of London, I did see yesterday, Jeffrey, uh, diesel, I saw a 192 print as well. I mean, some of these levels are just going up on a daily basis. Aren't we just so glad that Rishi Sunak uh, uh, lessened the fuel duty? That was just a tiny, drop in the ocean um do you want to comment on that uh
0: not particularly i mean it, it let's face it it's it's painful we all know that to fill up the vehicle at the moment yeah uh and difficult to reduce your miles if you need to commute to work
1: yes yes to which there'll be a clamor from certain uh, people that you correspond regularly on twitter saying oh buy electric buy electric
0: but have you seen the price of uh, filling an electric vehicle as well? I mean, that's gone up a lot as well because we've, we've seen across the energy complex prices rise. So it's not that straightforward at
1: the moment. It's not that straightforward, and, and buying an electric car is not that cheap either at the moment, especially when we have the other issue about semiconductor shortages, keeping prices nice and high. European futures look like this. Uh, we are called uh, yeah significantly lower, I have to say. FTSE MIB down seven-tenths, as indeed is the Zetrax, as indeed is the Cacaron. Uh, FTSE seen down six-tenths of one percent. Karen Cho. Uh,
3: Steve, let's talk a little bit more about pricing pressures, because as inflation hovers uh, around record highs, fears of a 1970s-style period of stagflation are beginning to mount. But Randy Krosner from the Chicago Booth School of Business told CNBC that he doesn't think things will get that bad as long as central banks act fast. Let's take a listen.
0: In the late 1970s, early 1980s, when inflation was this high in, in the US and in other countries, inflation, uh, short-term interest rates were double digits. I mean, people are now rending garments over the Fed getting to 4% potentially, uh, and, uh, and the ECB getting into you know, slightly positive territory. Um, if, things, if inflation expectations become unanchored and uh, central banks don't act expeditiously enough, Not that you get to double digits, but you get to significantly higher rates and then the economy tanks. I don't think we're going to get there. I think we're now starting to move um, quickly enough that we'll avoid that. But the risk is the risk is there, but I don't think we're anywhere close to late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties. Uh, Randy Krosner, there with a view on central banking. Francesco Curto joins us, uh, global head of research at DWS. Francesco, nice to see you this morning. Very straightforward question: Where is there value at the moment in any asset class?
2: Well, we started to see some value coming back uh, um, in the equities. There was always some value as. Since the beginning of the year. It just wasn't the areas that nobody wanted. And Now we've seen uh, some very strong performance from uh, uh, the value end of the market. And at an aggregate level, our estimates just in Q1, uh, the long-term expected return on equities um, went up from 4.6% to 5.6% and is even higher now. So it's this difficult patch that we're in. This patch may last long. But the good news for long-term investors is that you no know, value is coming back. Uh, well, I mean, long-term investors
0: supposedly always win. But how long are we talking about?
2: Well, you know, our estimate is on uh, investments over 10 years periods. But if you start to look at, uh, again, at uh, the value end of the market uh, with Crokey and uh, the performance of the Crokey funds, we've seen a very strong performance this year. It's one of the best we've seen in the last decades. With positive returns uh, for quite a few of them, so clearly you know we are seeing you know significant sector rotations. But as I said, there are opportunities in the markets. In emerging markets, we are starting to see some good values. In the healthcare sectors, we see some good value, and still in some of the commodity ends of the market, we started to see some good. We continue to see some good value
3: francesco it's karen jumping in i want to ask you about sentiment because i was talking to a couple of bankers while i was away and it just struck me that there's a very mixed sentiment as to whether we're going into recession or some sort of downturn or whether we're going to be okay here and that's even inside some banks not even one bank versus another rival bank can you just talk about that mixed sentiment out there
2: uh, you know the sentiment is justified um let's not forget you know that. Um, Last year, according to our, uh, to our measures, the market was the most expensive it had been uh, you know, for the last 20 years. Now, if you then see the flip side of this, so from our perspective, we are quite concerned about expected return on, on real assets. The flip side was that everybody was actually quite bullish on the, econ- on the economy. They didn't see problems with inflation, and the picture was quite rosy. Now we are starting to see exactly the opposite. Uh, We are starting to see people talking about stagflation, starting to see people being concerned. You know, from our major, from the croquis perspective, you know, we need to see, you know, further tightening um, because, um, you know, we have... the, the the market implied cost of capital is lower than it was before the crisis. We need to remove that amount of liquidity from the crisis. We need to remove all that uh, that excess liquidity that in the end actually went into speculative assets, um, being growth stocks or being uh, uh, you know, cryptocurrency. Now we are starting to see you know some bearishness at an economic level on the. Uh, on uh, the outlook for the economy. But we also see in a significant underperformance of these speculative assets. And that is actually a positive for the real economy because it means that the money starts to go away from speculative assets to what should be the real assets for that is good for the real economy. So yes, it's difficult, but we should see some opportunities in these current situations. And from our perspective, beyond this year, where inflation numbers are clearly, uh, you know, outrageously high, we should start to see inflation coming down and going back to normalization.
3: Can I ask you about corporate bonds then? Because something that I was discussing a lot with those on the ground at a big uh, fintech conference uh, of the course of this week was that some are concerned about who they're doing business with now, that they see tighter credit conditions potentially putting some pain points into the system. Some are spent aggressively on building out businesses as well in the tech space, that there's a concern that some companies simply will not survive from here and that uh, there is a risk of doing business with some people, where does it leave corporate bond market then are there risks in investing in bonds at this point
2: Uh, you know uh, again we have to look what we did during the pandemics there are some risks in some parts of the bond market but but especially on the high yield side but overall i would say that the situation is quite sort of healthy at an aggregate level the risks come if there is a systemic problems with the corporate market But our analysis during the pandemic indicated that the level of free cash flow generations at the corporate level was the highest we've seen in 30 years. So the corporate market at an aggregate level should be able to withstand both a significant economic slowdown as well as as a hike in interest rates. But certainly, you know, those companies that, you know, were zombie companies during the crisis and now with this strong economic uh, rebound that we've seen the last, uh, in the last year, are not able to really take advantage of this. For these companies, there will be problems, but we don't foresee this to be a systemic risk for the entire market, and this is what is important.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I agree with you, my friend, Uh, uh, which is a great starting point ever. Look, um, the history going back way beyond the pandemic, I know you used the pandemic as the example for delinquencies, but I'm going to go back into real history over the last 20 years at least. And actually, the example is that if there is tension at the high yield end, and I used to call it junk, or you call it high yield, if there's tension at the high yield end, that creates a problem across the whole corporate bond market and then the equity market. They don't call it the canary in the coal mine for nothing, Francesco.
2: No, and, and you're right. There is, a, there is a concern and central banks, you know, need to, to focus this. But, you know, let's, let's look at the ECB. You know, they are very aware that, you know, there is a, a risk with Italy and Spain. There is very, they are, everybody is talking about the fragmentation in, uh, in the bond market in Europe and how it is important that at the same time as, you know, we hike interest rates in, in, in Europe, we address the problems of the fragmentations in order to avoid exactly those type of uh, situations that we saw ten years ago, when uh, you know clearly a hike or you know speculation about hikes then ended up into a euro crisis. So I think that you know for, for we have learned from from past mistakes, but does it mean that you know we are. Uh, uh, going to have uh, an easy 2022 from now on? not necessarily but as you know uh, value investors don't fear crisis they are the people that tend to to see opportunities when crisis come because there now, are some assets that then come out to be quite attractive in this type of situation. That's very
1: interesting you should say that. And you've actually used the word which ties in with something I wanted to ask you about. You said value investors don't fear this, of course, and you also talked about this wonderfully long time frame, 10 years uh, with Jeff as well about being invested. But my, my point here is something you said earlier and you said about growth speculation and crypto speculation where are we at that francesco because there are a lot of our viewers out there who are throwing things at the channel at the tv at me on a regular basis but now at you talking about those instruments being speculative rather than long term uh, value plays as well are we finished with the route in crypto are we finished with the route in growth
2: well you know we i think that you know we are getting there the valuation is still demanding the valuation is particularly demanding for those speculative assets that were deemed growth but don't generate cash flow. In order to be growth and started to be you started to start to see some good value at the, in the large um, not good value but you know, more reasonable valuation into the large growth stocks that create a lot of cash. but you know we are not there yet. But the focus should definitely be on those companies that have got a very strong competitive advantage because these companies have got a a fantastic edge in the long term, both against inflation as well as against this uh, route in the market when uh, you you go against those speculative assets that actually don't generate any cash.
1: Excellent. Francesco, love chatting to you. Thank you very much indeed for your time, as ever. Thank you. Francesco Curto, who is the Global Head of Research at DWS. Coming up on this show, China's economy shows more sign of recovery as COVID lockdowns ease. We'll be live in Singapore with Sam with the details. signs are we getting out of the Chinese economy Jeff?
0: Uh, well they do seem to be more positive don't they? They
1: are more positive anyway Chinese yeah. exports rebounded uh, in the month <laughs> of May uh, as lockdowns eased in the world's uh, second largest economy exports jumped almost 17% from a year earlier uh, more than double forecast so I guess we want to know what kind of signs are, are they downbeat are they more positive are they are they encouraging Sam? Sam tell us.
6: Encouraging signs out of China today with trade recovering last month as some COVID curbs eased and authorities worked to alleviate bottlenecks. Exports blew past expectations, returning to double digits and growing at the fastest pace since January. A sign demand for goods out of China is still strong. Helping shipments, official data showed container throughput at the world's biggest port over in Shanghai returned to 95% capacity in May. Factories also got production lines back up and running after lockdowns. Tesla started ramping things up at the end of the month after some setbacks. But imports also beat expectations, growing for the first time in three months as some restrictions were relaxed and domestic demand picked up. That all brought the trade surplus to $78.7 billion, widening from $51 billion in April. But if you look into the hood, authorities are still flagging uncertainties, warning exporters and importers face risks from rising commodity prices and the war in Ukraine while rolling out more stimulus measures to help boost trade. There are also questions about how sustainable the reopenings are after Shanghai announced it's locking down parts of the city again to carry out testing, which perhaps highlights the challenges in stabilising growth while sticking with COVID-0.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
1: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.